Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. And joining us today is Dr. Jim Lewis, the Director of the Strategic Technologies Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. And he's one of uh, both the nations and the world's leading experts on cyber and technology more broadly. Uh, Jim, always a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so much for making time in your busy schedule to accommodate us. Thank you, and welcome back from Texas. Uh, indeed, thanks uh, very much. It was a terrific time at South by Southwest, uh, and uh, just a lot of fascinating people, both on the technology side, the government, uh, not just both, but on the technology, on the uh, venture capital uh, and money side of the equation, as well as on the government side. And we're going to be rolling more of that coverage out over the coming weeks. Uh, before we get started with this conversation, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage. Fortress Information Security, as I mentioned, not only sponsors our cyber report, but sponsors our cyber coverage more broadly. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our, our air and naval uh, coverage. And Leonardo DRS, GE Aerospace and Helicon Chemical sponsored our coverage of the Air and Space Forces Association's Aerospace Warfare Symposium in Denver. And our coverage at South by Southwest was sponsored by Bell and Leonardo uh, DRS. Jim, as I mentioned, it's terrific having you back on the program. Uh, Biden administration uh, has just submitted its uh, uh, broader uh, spending request to Congress. Uh, that came in the wake of the national uh, cyber strategy. Uh, budgets are a manifestation of, of policy and of priorities. Uh, does this budget realize the strategy uh, when it comes to cyber? Thanks, Vago. All I've heard uh, from uh, people involved in the strategy is that they have enough money this year. And so budget doesn't appear to be a problem. There are other problems with implementation, but no one has told me that money is one of them. Uh, well, that's uh, very reassuring. I, I want to move uh, to the national cyber strategy in particular. Uh, we had JC Vega uh, on last week talking a little bit about it, but wanted to get your sense on this because you've helped us sort of track it over the course of the year as it was gestating. Is this the right strategy at the right time to do what it is we need, it, need yeah, to I do? Vago, I think the strategy is a major departure from old school cybersecurity, and it does break new ground. It looks at uh, switching responsibility more on the side of the service providers and the software providers. It doesn't use the word deterrence because I think there's a consensus among people who understand cybersecurity that deterrence doesn't work in cyberspace. Um, it breaks the boundaries when it comes to talking about mandatory requirements for government using the sector-specific approach that the Obama administration developed. It. So it talks about identity management, it's got a lot of stuff in the strategy, and all of it looks pretty good. Implementation is always the issue, but as strategies go, this one is uh, um, better than anyone could have expected. Um, what are the most important features of it from your perspective? You know, I think you know when you, when you say it's a when you say it's a dramatic departure of how from how we've done it. What are the dramatic departure points? Uh, you know, and what is it you like about it, and what is it you don't like about it? So it has five pillars, as you know. Um, the first pillar, critical infrastructure protection. Uh, we've been saying that for now approximately 25 years. This one goes right. a step further and says um, we need to have mandatory requirements for truly critical sectors. Uh, that's already been put in place in a piecemeal fashion. 
Uh, so approaching it based on what NIST knows and based on some of the executive orders, it could lead to an improvement. I mean, companies will need to be required to do things. And I think that's one of the lessons from Colonial Pipelines and from uh, uh, solar winds. Colonial Pipelines is seen by the administration as a success because it was a largely unregulated sector. It was the famous voluntary approach that turned out to be next to worthless. And TSA has put in place, developed cooperatively with the sector rules to change that. So that's a big start. Um, there's a pillar that talks about disrupting opponent adversary operations. That's a major change. Um, instead of trying to deter them by glowering uh, outside of or mead, um, <laughs> we, we might actually look at one of the, the ransomware initiative. And this administration inherited a lot of problems when they came in, but one of them was ransomware uh, at epidemic levels. One of the things they found is that the people who do ransomware, wherever they live, Russia or Russia, um, depend on Western infrastructure, Western network infrastructure, Western cloud infrastructure, uh, Western financial infrastructure. And that gives us an angle to disrupt their operations without actually violating Russian sovereignty. You know, if you're using uh, internet service or a cloud service provider in the the based in the Netherlands or based in some other European country, um, you can interfere with that. You can you can work with the host country to do things to interfere it. So that's a that takes us from um, the passive approach we've had for the last two or three decades to something that's a little more aggressive. So a lot of those are just some examples. They talk about identity management. They don't say what they'll do with identity management. It's always been the third rail for uh, uh, cybersecurity. We'll, we'll see what they get. So I got a, a lot of um, <clears throat> a lot of positive things. Investing in workforce, uh, using market forces to shift responsibility, a major change in that. And you've seen some of this come up with <clears throat> previous executive orders. Uh, people write software, who's responsible if it's badly written? The, right now, the approach has been, well, the, the guy who buys the software is responsible for everything. It's like when you bought a car and the car had problems, you couldn't go back to the manufacturer because you're the one holding the bag. So those are just some of the big changes. There, there are others, but I think those are, those are ones worth calling out. Uh, I love that point, right? Because we created lemon laws so that you did have a recourse um, if uh, whatever it is you bought was not working right and, and the manufacturer was trying to dodge responsibility by finding loopholes uh, through through a, a warranty, for example. What are elements that you don't like or work that remains unfinished, right? I mean, this this is an endless task. And so, this, you know, as soon as you write one strategy, uh, the threat keeps evolving, and I want to talk to, the, to you a little bit about that. <laughs> By the way, great, great line, you know, <laughs> ransomware in Russia and in Russia. Um, and there must be some other place that does it, but the Russians are involved. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I think the North Koreans have turned, have monetized that, and, and so have Iranians uh, to, to a degree. But what, what, are, what are some elements that, you know, you're either unhappy with and why, and, and where there needs to be actually greater att uh, attention, right? Taking nothing away from the accomplishment of the document, but, you know, the, you know, no strategy is perfect in all its iterations. I actually think this one is pretty good. There's nothing that I don't like in it. 
Um, wow. What I worry about is that there's a line between things that can be done uh, with existing authorities. And, you know, if the budget calculations I've heard are right, they have the money. And so it's a question of do they have the authorities to do more R&D, to impose acquisition rules? Yeah, they have the authorities. Can they ask NISC to do more work on developing standards? All of that can be done without additional legislation. Where we get into the tricky part is the legislative part. And uh, what happened in the past was that the administration, this was in 2012 and in the second Obama administration, they might want regulation, but there's limits to their authorities. They need Congress to do something. And we'll see if they get that authority from Congress. I, it's, so far, it's been a bipartisan issue, but um, we'll see if that holds uh, as you get to being um, a little tougher on some of the requirements for private companies. One of the things, Jim, that JC and I last week discussed was incentive structures, right? I mean, I think he too was very happy with the strategy uh, as a general rule. I think most people are. Uh, but the question was, you know, incentives, incentives for better public-private partnership, as well as incentives for uh, folks uh, to make the kind of necessary investments, uh, right? And there's, you know, carrots and sticks that are being involved in this. Are we getting the incentive structures right uh, so that companies make that investment, right? I mean, Colonial Pipeline was really a reluctance of a company to spend the kind of money it had to spend in order to bolster its security. It, you know, it it became, you know, and I mean, every company is in the business to make money, but ultimately, right, illustrated a vulnerability. That was the case with banks and banks suddenly started taking it seriously to the point that their security is probably better than even the government's security. Um, where are we on the incentives part of this? Because you're trying to incentivize people on ransomware, you know, and, and this doesn't even get to the point of having some sort of point of contact for, right? I mean, one of the other things JC talked about was to get that cyber reporting function so that average people can report stuff, it improves our visibility. Uh, and, and, you know, because we're really as strong as the weakest link and that goes down to make sure that Dr. Lewis's uh, systems are secure, for example, if Dr. Lewis happens to be in a sensitive job. Are we getting the incentives part of this steadily right? Better, righter? I think we are. I mean, the the notification process, other countries have started before us, like Australia. It's a work in progress in that it will develop, people learn from experience. I think CIS is doing a pretty good job, but there's a way to go to make it uh, better than it is. You know, the, I don't think anyone would say, yeah, we have perfect insight. But again, one of the changes is people figured out Private companies, because of contractual relationships, have insight into big networks that the government cannot have. Uh, and if you can find some way to take advantage of that. So I think CISA is doing that. Um, incentives through the acquisitions process. Uh, people want to sell to the government. Um, if the government can say, and it doesn't need new authority to do this, you have to show that you've taken on board uh, secure software development practices that the SBOM process, secure, what is it? Software Bill of Materials process that is now let out of DHS. Um, these are all positive steps. It's not like it's black and white. You flip the switch and we're better. You know that, um, right. but we are on the right path and it'll take a while for companies to change their behavior, but we have started to lay out incentives for them to do so. 
Um, you, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned S bombs. So what was interesting at South by Southwest was the sheer number of companies. Um, you know, again, I mean, universal acclaim for both the S bomb and H bomb, right? Software bills of origin and materials, as well as uh, hardware uh, side, right? As we're trying to sort of identify what the vulnerabilities are and mitigate those on the software and the hardware side. But what was interesting is a couple of companies were talking about the importance of firmware that people aren't paying attention to. Now, somebody like me regards firmware really as part of a software. Uh, you know, it's it's on the software side of things, but there, it was interesting how folks were differentiating firmware from software. I how big is the threat there? I I think of firmware as software, so right. Uh, certainly, in some of the instances we've seen with uh, um, some of the work that the Enduring Security Framework (ESF) did at, at NSA. Um, they would treat firmware as software. So, I, you know, I think that it's a distinction that may not be apparent to uh, people on the outside. Uh, do we have the right kind of focus on it? SBOM is, is just started. Let's see how it plays out. I mean, a lot of these things are building right. uh, a structure, an oversight structure, a regulatory structure that it will take, it will take a few years. Ask me that question again at the end of the administration. <laughs> I, I can always count on you to give a reasonable answer to something. Good Lord, we just started this. I mean, come on. Um, let me, uh, I want to get to uh, sort of your sense on uh, chat GPT. Uh, and, you know, it's like all of a sudden people, uh, you know, AI, artificial intelligence has been surrounding them for quite a long time. And it's now all of a sudden people are like, oh, wow, AI, AI, AI is here. It's like, okay, well, AI has been here. Uh, for for a while, but but before we get to the AI and and Chat GPT uh, part of this, uh, you mentioned Russia, and I don't want to forget asking you about this. Right before the invasion, it was shields up, everybody to the parapets and 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 barricades. We're doing uh, a much better job defending forward. You've been kind enough to come on the program uh, regularly and talk to us about how that's going. There is a sense that uh, you know, in the wake of the downing of uh, the the U.S. Uh, Reaper. Uh, and a next Russian offensive that the Russians actually could start getting much more aggressive uh, in their uh, operations, uh, cyber operations against the United States. Is, is there any sense, you know, how do you, you know, it's been a year since the war, right? How do you gauge the cyber lessons from all of this and what the Russians are likely to do next and how it is we need to think about this and, and defend over the longer term? Because folks are saying, well, it's inconclusive. Are we defending better or are they just not attacking us? Uh, right. What's what's your sense on where we are a year into this and how we need to think, you know, going forward, seeing as how the Chinese are also doing a great job vilifying us. Right. And they're also pretty active. And, and you know, they may decide on the behalf of their Russian friends to get active with us. What, what are the lessons? What, what's your thinking on um, how how we're doing against these adversaries? Well, you know, there's the FUD factor, which is, and this is kind of sad, the Russians have figured out that the um, Western media is kind of a megaphone, so they can say something that's pretty stupid, and it will get uh, blown blown out of proportion. So, you know, have the calculations for Russia changed on directly attacking the United States? Um even Putin knows that's a bad idea. And I'm pretty sure he's been told what would happen should he do that. The Chinese are making a lot of noise, but they're even more cautious. So 
does that mean we can lower our guard? No, of course not. But does it mean we're at risk of imminent attack? Probably not. Uh, you know, the 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 drone thing. The Russians would argue that, given its location in the Black Sea, um, given that they didn't, they say at least directly, they it's they, they shot at it. They didn't bump into it. Um, they they are arguing they might have hoped that it wouldn't be seen as a provocation and. Some of that is they estimate the U.S. is relatively cautious. We don't want a war with Russia either. Um, but, you know, in that context, I don't think enough has changed. You know, we're always hearing Putin's getting desperate. Where Putin is probably getting excited is uh, the um, ability of certain American politicians to not appreciate how crucial the Ukraine episode is to our security. Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia ignored international law. Russia has been doing um, terrible things in Europe that we haven't seen in decades. And yet some people say it's not vital to American national interests. Boy, they and uh, Neville Chamberlain can line up and applaud. So I, the bigger concern for me is that there are uh, there's a partisan split um, between people who I would regard as uh, insane um, saying that Russia is not uh, Russia's actions in Ukraine do not threaten American interests. Oh golly, uh, that that just is that's the biggest threat there. And Putin will hope to exploit that. The way to exploit that is not by attacks on the U.S., but by encouraging this sort of uh, defeatism. It's embarrassing, you know. Uh, you know, I was thinking of. Um, uh, Lindbergh in the 30s, the great heroic aviator who went to Nazi Germany and said how well it was working. Now, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, Lindbergh's heirs would say, but um, we don't want to have our, our infatuation with dictators uh, confuse us on the threat of uh, Russian activities in Ukraine to American interests. That's the bigger problem. The drone thing, the Russians got excited. Okay, so... Not too much. Um, I, I was uh, going to point out, right, uh, that uh, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, I think what you're talking about is some of the statements that he's also made that drew re rebukes from a bipartisan fashion, including some leaders in the Republican Party saying, look, you know, this is an important uh, thing. Um, uh, you know, that supporting Ukraine is important. I think even some critics of the administration understand the link between standing up here, for example, and deterring China from doing uh, something stupid uh, in um, over over Taiwan. Um, I, I hope so, and I'm not sure it's a partisan issue, but uh, there are groups of people. Some people at some of these uh, rallies wear shirts that say "Better Russians than Democrats." Hey, guys, live in Moscow for a while and come back and tell me if you still agree with that. Yeah, uh, it, you know, I, I understand that there was there were just enormous amounts of freedom. Uh, to express yourself any way you'd like uh, in in Moscow. Yeah, uh, exactly. And then, from, and then a couple of weeks later, from Siberia. But uh... <laughs> yes, yes, bringing de bringing democracy to Siberian prisons one inmate at a time. Anyway, yeah. um, it's just not funny, actually. Sorry. Um, that was a rant. I'm sorry, but uh, that's that's like, okay. Got to put this in perspective. Putin's plan is to get to get the West to stop supporting Ukraine, and so what would the actions be that would lead him in that direction? And cyber attacks and drone downings don't really do that. 
I want to take you to chat GT, uh, GTP uh, and, you know, all of its clones that are starting to hit the, uh, the market. What are its implications for national security, Jim, from your perspective? Well, we've been using AI, as, as you noted earlier, we've been using AI for uh, more than a couple decades. Right? It's been around for a long time and it's built into consumer systems. Uh, it's been built into air defense systems. It's just another tool, right? And people worry about it. Uh, in ways that don't make sense. So, you know, the idea is that we'll build a tool and forget how to control it. Uh, maybe, I doubt it though. So I think this will, all the things we've said all along about AI, it will improve precision, it will improve, improve speed, it will improve analysis. The side that can figure out how to do that will gain an advantage. The Chinese are working on it, the Russians say they're working on it, we're working on it. So AI and things like chat GTP um, if we use them the right way and if we don't panic and think that somehow we're living in the, a Terminator sequel, um, if we don't do that, if we use them the right way, it'll make us stronger. And, and, and how is it that we need to use it and how is it we need to think about it, right? Because it, it has been surrounding it. Every time you use Siri, you're using AI. Every time you use Google, you're using AI. Every time you use Uber, you're using AI, right? And we've had these algorithms um, right. I mean, nuclear weapons make decisions on when to detonate based on atmospheric conditions. Right. I mean, that's a little bit more of a, a primitive system. Yeah. But again, a weapon is making autonomous decisions as it makes it to its target. How do we need to fundamentally think about it? I know that, uh, right, the AI Commission uh, is now a nonprofit, a little bit like the Cyber Solarium Commission, in order to be able to shape the debate uh, with uh, Eric Schmidt still involved in it. What are the ways that we fundamentally need to be thinking about this at a time when Congress is looking at social media companies and how they're using AI, for example? I mean, what's, what's the right approach from your standpoint not to stifle innovation? Because our adversaries are going to use weapons and are using weapons that will use AI with less discrimination than we will. If you take a step back, this is a new technology. It's still relatively new. And it changes rapidly, it improves rapidly, its reach expands rapidly. And it's gonna just take us a while to figure out these questions. I mean, are there areas of risk? So far, I don't see too many, right? There's, there's really minimal risk, but we need to be careful about what is it we grant uh, autonomy to, right? And that might be a good step is that uh, people have been talking about this usually in the context of lethal autonomous weapons, but the goal should be how do we get the most benefit out of this technology for our own security purposes? Um, the risk strikes me as a little lower. So that would be the goal is, can we do this in a way consistent with our existing norms and rules that gives us security advantage? But but these apps in general, you don't see as there being any sort of pressing national security challenge that they present offhand right, whether it's chat GDP or anything else. The pressing national security challenges that our opponents might use them better than we do. And so it is a race and uh, the Chinese know they're in a race. They have handicaps as well, but that's the biggest challenge is we need to, we need to make sure we stay in front of the bad guys. Jim, always an honor and pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so very much for being so generous with your time. We, we know that every time we we get you, it's these for these tiny windows. So we really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks, Vago. Gotta go. Talk to you soon.